0: Hi, I'm Eugene Molero, Congressional Reporter with Transport Topics. Welcome to Live on Web. Today we are here to examine concerns about driver recruitment and retention across the trucking industry. Our sponsors for today's program are EBE Technologies and Conversion Interactive Agency. You can read more about our sponsors at the bottom of this article page. During the show, we welcome your questions and feedback you can email us at share at ttnews.com or you can comment directly on this article page. Segments of the industry have faced a shortage of drivers for years and an aging workforce has carriers worried about falling way short over the next decade. That is according to a recent report by the American Transportation Research Institute or ATRI. Many analysts agree the driver shortage affects carriers' ability to keep up with increasing demand for freight hauling service. In a 2015 report, American Trucking Associations (ATA) determined that the shortage of drivers industry-wide is projected to increase to 175,000 in eight years. Today we'll discuss the latest trends in recruitment efforts and examine strategies for retaining drivers once they sign up with a carrier. Joining me in the studio are Dave Manning, president of TCW Inc. and second vice chairman at American Trucking Associations. Dave will offer insight and perspective from the executive side of the trucking business. We also are joined by Henry Brewster, driver with UPS Freight and a member of America's Road Team. Henry will be sharing insight from a driver's point of view. Our program also will feature interviews with experts who were at the 13th Annual Recruitment and Retention Conference in Nashville earlier this month. Uh, Dave, you were at that conference, and you, know, you spoke about ATA's image and uh, setting forth um, the, the message of trucking uh, nationwide. Um, and you talk to executives all the time. Um, could you tell us you know, how big of a problem we're talking about you know, what is the scope of of recruitment and retention, you know, across the industry?
1: Sure, I'd be glad to, and thank you for the opportunity to be here today as well. Um, And you summed it up some in the introduction, is that, you know, we believe that there's somewhere 48 to 50,000 drivers that we're short today uh, to meet the need in our industry, and that that'll continue to grow over the next eight years to somewhere around 175,000. You know, gone are the days where you have a stack of applications um, that you just pull from if and when you need a driver. Most everybody is in the process of continually recruiting drivers today and it's true for our company as well as for others. I think that there's some um, fundamentals underlying the driver shortage that uh, don't aren't going to get better uh, in, in the near term. Um, when you look at the, the annual need is somewhere around 90,000 drivers a year that are needed in our industry, <clears throat> but if you break that 90,000 down, Only about a third of that is due to growth. Two-thirds of that is from retirements and drivers voluntarily or involuntarily leaving our industry, which is of a large concern. Um, Certainly drivers are an aging workforce. The average age of drivers are 49 years old versus an industry average of only 42 years old, almost a decade uh, difference in that. Also. Uh, just the demographics of the drivers. Uh, women make up 46% of the working population, but only 6% of yeah. the driving population. So there's a there's, we're missing out on a large segment of the workforce by not having more women that are engaged in trucking. Um, and then there are also those uh, regulations that have an impact on drivers uh, being able to stay uh, in our industry. If you think about um, CSA, drivers yeah. now have their own personal scores that carriers can access when they're looking at hiring a driver and so those that have a poor score are getting weeded out and not being hired uh, by carriers. There's also the electronic log uh, rule that's that's, um, coming up that I think there'll be some drivers that just decide to stop driving as opposed to adopt that new technology particularly those that are uh, nearing the retirement age to begin with. Um, And then there's the medical registry that went in place that requires the, the doctors Certified doctors do the the biannual physicals, and so that's weeded out some. And then there's still the sleep apnea regulation that's, that's on the yeah. horizon. That there might again be some drivers that decide um, to leave our industry as opposed to go through the the compliance uh, with the sleep apnea regulations. And then it's just a whole lifestyle um, change. You know, not everybody is comfortable. With the responsibility of an 18-wheeler running down the road, and and so there's some limitation to those that are interested in trucking, just because of the demands that the industry itself uh, has. And on being
0: it. out there on the road, many hours a day.
1: A lot of responsibility. Yeah. And not everybody wants to accept that responsibility. And from the from the corner office
0: perspective, the um, the executive, uh, you know, colleague, your peers in the industry, uh, what is the mood? Is there uh, truly a sense of urgency or panic,
1: for lack of a better term? I think there's concern okay. because those fundamentals that I mentioned aren't changing anytime soon. And and so um, it really depends on how strong the economy is as to how critical the need is. Right now it's softened a little bit and so the demand for drivers is not as great. But as soon as the economy starts picking up, we'll all be struggling to find enough drivers to be able to keep up uh, with the business opportunity that exists. The, the silver lining that I think that exists and all that is the, the opportunity for us to, to value the driver a little bit more and to respect the drivers a little bit more because of what they provide to our industry. and I think that's been missing some uh, in the recent past and I hope that this causes us to look at that and figure out how we can be more efficient. the drivers that we do have there's a lot of wasted time today that could be eliminated that would actually make our drivers more productive Mm. that we currently have in the system
0: i think that's a good point uh to bring you in uh henry uh you've been a driver for 17 years Uh, you're out there all the time these long hours that i mentioned you know you do that this is this is your craft uh tell me you know what got you um what Motivated you to join the industry, and also what are you hearing from you know your peers and your colleagues when you go to truck stops and you uh, travel throughout the country?
2: Well, what got me into trucking was that before I became a truck driver, I was in the United States military. My MOS was okay. a Mike, which is a mechanized infantry. So I already that would go report for duty, and it would be days I wouldn't come home whether it's just um, training or getting deployed. So I was used to not be coming home every day. Um, while I was in the military, I met my wife, Tiffany, and we had one son while I was in the military. Okay. So towards the my end of my enlistment, I messed my knee up. I tore three ligaments in my knee, mm. and I had to get reclassified. I had to leave infantry or become a cook. I didn't want to become a cook. Okay. You know, no, uh, I just didn't. I was infantry. I wanted to be an infantry. You I know? understand, yeah. I was going to get out. So I went, I started A capping, and while A capping, I saw a, a, a letter saying, Learn to be a truck driver.
0: And this and is where you were in the military.
2: Well, I was in the military. Okay. when you Right when you get ready to go, when you're A cap. that's yeah. when you get out. And I thought to myself, I can do that, I can be a truck driver. I don't have to worry about someone looking over my back all day because. I can. If you tell me to do something, I can do it. You know, that's one thing about the military. If you tell someone that's in the military to show up at a certain period of time, they're going to do it. So I said you know what? I can do that. I can start driving trucks. So that's what I did. I thought that it would be a great way to provide for my family. Had great benefits and just being out on an open road. I love what I do. I love going out, and meeting different people, going to different parts of the country.
0: Yeah, and when you are doing that when you're going to different parts of the country um what are you what do you hear from other drivers and also uh when you talk to them about their interests and some of them i'm sure are telling you hey i'm looking to get out you know what is it that they're they're telling you well can you give us an insight on those conversations
2: Well, like so I work for UPS freight, and I work for a yeah. local company. I have a turning meet, so a lot of the over the road drivers always ask me, like, "Are you guys hiring?" Because they don't want to stay out as long. They want to come home every day. Okay. And the first thing I ask them, are they putting in the application, or what? How are they? Um, do they have certain endorsement? Um, for the work for certain company, you need certain endorsement. You need triple double. You need hazmat, and you have to pass certain background check you know like for to go to different ports you might need a TWIC card yeah that's the work identification, uh, identification card so that's some of the questions they ask. and another thing that people find that they just they just fed up they sit there and think to themselves like um, I'm not getting paid while I'm broke down do you guys get paid while you broke down or when you're on vacation how much what's your vacation pay or what's your benefit package that's some of the questions that I'm always asked
0: so um, and do you get the sense that those concerns, they're the catalyst as to why they will leave the industry? Yes. Okay. Some of them. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's a good segue to uh, one of the, fir- the first question that I want to get into, and this comes from uh, Mike Gilbert, he's with Telogius, T- um, and he asked uh, the panel, uh, tell me the reasons why choosing to become a professional driver in today's world should be considered to be my dream job, in quotes. Why, why, how can you tell somebody, hey, being a professional driver, is your, this could be your dream job? How do you do that?
2: Um, some people don't want to be confined to an office. You know, when, you, when you're driving trucks, your steering wheel and your seat, that's your office. And your view constantly changes. And like I say, you get to go out there and you get to see this whole great nation that we're in, that we're delivering, called America. It's like a free vacation you need to go from point a to point b so i like that and another thing is like we're already saying we're talking about a driver shortage so long you remain safe you're a safe drive you keep a safe record you can always find a job and i have a lot of friends that have college degrees that may be engineers or working in plants or working in all fields that you know you're always constantly getting laid off or the plant closes down they open yeah. back up under a new name so they go to work and they don't ever have good um jobs on um, security. So yeah. if you try a truck you have a CDL, you can pretty much find a job as long as you remain safe.
0: Dream job, how do you when I was in college, you know, my dream job was to be a reporter and I <laughs> met with an advisor and you know, we made it happen. Uh, how do you how do you tell these kids, hey, this is this could be your dream job?
1: Yeah, well Henry makes some great points. I think the independence piece of it is important, but I also think there's a Tremendous earning potential right off the bat um, for that, that most other uh, industries don't allow for that same, particularly that early. It takes years to work up to what a driver can make uh, in their first year. So I think a piece of it is the great earning potential um, that exists, and and then I think also that um, it's a part of the image uh, campaign, but it's it's uh, taking pride in what we do and realizing how essential the truck driving job is to getting goods delivered. Uh, for, so there's, you know, if, if we can get people to take pride in the fact that they really are delivering what's essential to America, then it, it adds some, some added value um, to, to what they're providing.
0: And, and to put it in context, we're talking about 80% of America's freight um, moves via trucks.
1: That, that's exactly right, yeah. and, and a lot of communities depend exclusively on truck uh, for their delivery. So I think it's, it's kind of taking a, a bigger picture look out at it, uh, to make drivers really understand how critical they are to the nation's economy.
0: Yeah, and to just to build on that, um, you know, I'm sure some people don't realize that, especially in uh, severe weather moments, it is uh, the trucks are the ones, the first line of defense to bring in the supplies and the goods uh, to these communities.
1: Yeah, there's a great um, Trucking Moves America Forward video <clears throat> that shows trucks heading into the disaster when everybody else is heading out of the disaster. Exactly. It's sort of, there's a lot to be proud of in our industry and what we do and I think too many times as executives and uh, operations personnel we forget um, that, that what we're doing is, is really important and it doesn't always translate to our drivers either but if, if they can see the value in that <clears throat> they can see the pride in that then it helps temper some of the frustrations that come along with being out on our nation's highways all the time.
0: That's a good point and uh, we'll get to more questions <coughs> and just a reminder out there that if you're interested in sending us a question or feedback during the show, you can email us at share at ttnews.com, or you can comment directly on the article page. Uh, here's another question that I got. Um, this one's from a gentleman named uh, Burl Tate, and he asks, uh, what keeps a driver with a company? Uh, is there one single thing, or is it a combination of several things that this is more on the retention side that keeps them, you know, here focused? engage in their in their company?
2: That's a real good question. I can tell you right off the bat, it's a combination. Okay. But I can tell you pay is great. It's great to have a nice paycheck, but I think the number one thing is to respect. Mm. Drivers won't respect. Um, I don't care what profession you work in. When you go to work and you feel like your boss have your back and he has your general concern on his on his top priority, guess what? You'll run through a wall for that person. You'll do whatever it takes. So, if your boss treats you with respect, you're willing to go the extra mile. You're willing to take the extra step. So, pay is good, but we'd have to remember that you have to treat your drivers with respect.
0: What about you? Is there one single thing or is it an all of the above? Uh, like-
1: there's no silver bullet. You know, okay. I would agree that it's a combination of things. And I mean, trucking is a people business. Yeah. And you gotta remember the drivers are people too. And you gotta treat them like you would wanna be treated. And sometimes we tend to get focused on getting the freight delivered to the customer when and where and how they need it and you forget that there's a human being that's involved in the, in the process of that. So I think the respect piece, um, <clears throat> personalizing, making sure um, that, that you recognize that individual. And I think it's also being sure that you hire the right person for the job. Not everybody is geared, it's a diverse industry, and not everybody is geared for your particular segment. And so you need to do a good job in the interview process of making sure that the person that you're hiring is, is a good fit for your particular segment, understands the hours, understands the conditions, and you start from sort of a level of trust in the beginning and you deliver on what you tell them they're going to be able to expect with your company.
0: And it just sounds so obvious that uh, for management to be respectful of, you know, their workforce, that that would be a motivating factor for the employee to keep coming back. Uh, any thought as to why, it was, I guess, it's just it's easier said than done? Is it that some managers are just swamped, busy, and you have, they don't, you, I guess one will have to allocate time to engage with the drivers, with the team?
1: Mm-hmm. Is that... I think so much of it is you deal with them either by phone or even today computers, right? It becomes a little bit impersonal. Everybody has an employee number that is sort of what you're recording in the system and and there's a lot of pressure. Um, You know, Customers are pretty demanding in what they expect and so when when there's a failure, when we're not delivering up to the customer's expectations, there's a lot of pressure and I think we just forget sometimes that the the driver is is, um, a person too and we're all working together to try to accomplish the same thing for our customer, and the, and the driver has to keep that in their mind, and I think our operations personnel have to keep that in their mind as well.
0: Henry, and to build on what you said, the respect, when you go out there and you talk to other drivers from other firms, uh, is that what they bring up? that um, you know, This lack of <coughs> respect from you know, back in the workforce, but back, at, back in their office?
2: Yes, it's not so much as from the office. I think the drivers are concerned about that. They tend to think, well, my boss, he never been in a truck. He never drove a truck. Yeah. He don't know what I'm going through. He don't get it. He don't get it. He don't understand that I can't go. Yesterday, it wasn't rush hour traffic. I can go over here in five minutes, but today it's 20 minutes. I'm stuck in traffic. Yeah. Or I can't go around this construction area because... You know, there's traffic down the one lane. I'm getting delayed. Or it's just the weather condition, the wind the wind is high. I can't go any further. It's unsafe. I can feel the trailer rocking backwards and forth. And so, like, when the, you know, the balls come down, like, well, you should be over there. What's taking you so long? And they say, wait a minute. You know, I'm trying to do this safe. You know, you're telling me to be safe, and I'm trying to be safe. But if you want me to deliver, or you want me to be safe. Well, you know what? It's our responsibility to be safe. That's our number one priority it be safe at all times and i think that's the problem where you're in the office you're not in the real world okay after seeing what's going on like like dave said you know most of the time they talk on the computer where your dispatcher depending on where your company is located at you know they can be out of richmond and i can be in baton rouge and they telling me well you need to go here and i see that the road is clear i'm like well i don't know what you see but the road is blocked so I can't go any further Now, what you want me to do. I'm sorry, you know. But the main thing is, you know, what you have to do. Once you get to the customer, it's about the driver. It's how you present yourself. When I get to the customer, if I'm a little bit late, you know, it's like saying same thing like if you want respect, you have to give other people respect. Exactly. So you give the customer respect. You explain what happened. Also, you explain to your boss what happened. <laughs> you know, you let your boss know. Just don't be so inconsiderate and realize that it is your boss and give them the respect that you deserve, and I think that's how, I think that's the way you're aware of. You treat people with respect, they respect you as well.
0: And, yes?
1: Well, Henry mentions the customer aspect of it, because I think it's important that our customers respect our drivers as well, and that just doesn't happen all the time. If if you look at the uh, facilities, restroom facilities that they make available to them, or the rules that they have for drivers while they're loading and unloading, they they don't treat them with the same respect that they do their own employees that are working for them, and, and they so,
0: get discouraged and <clears throat> well, it's know, just, it's they that, hear their buddies at another job.
1: It's a yeah. it's that um, poor. Everybody deserves to be treated with respect, yeah. and you know, particularly that's what I'm saying. I hope through this short is that our drivers uh, gain the respect of our customers as well as our managers, because trucks don't move without the driver behind the wheel.
0: Exactly, and uh, and I'm um, when I was at the conference in Nashville, the recruitment conference, um, I we touched on. Uh, I spoke with Rob Hatchett, uh, vice president of recruiting at Covenant Transport, and they're based in Tennessee. Um, and we talked, me and him, we talked about this issue about how you have to create a honest and strong communication uh, environment uh, over and you know back in your workplace. Um, and I believe we have a video of my conversation with Rob Hatchett.
3: Uh, but it is so important to set expectations up front. Yeah. And that's something that it, we, we, recruiters sometimes get the reputation of just say what you need to say to get them here. And, and that's not our focus. Our focus is tell them what it's like here. And so for, for, for Covenant, when, when I think about our strategy, there there's several things that we ask up front. Are you willing to run OTR? That, that's what we do. Everybody that comes in is running OTR. So we're not trying to tell them, oh, i got a dedicated lane for you or I've got some type of engineered lane. It's, it's, you're going to be running OTR. So if you set that expectation up front, that, that's what's known. Number two, are you willing to be on a team? Because that's what we do. Yeah. And so if someone comes in thinking I'm a solo, that's, that's not what we do at Covenant. We team people up and we bring in teams. And so automatically, if I've set the expectation, you're running OTR and you're going to be part of a team, then they walk in the door and and it meets their expectation. Also, we're out for 12 days and then we're home for a couple days. Are are you okay with that? If we set that expectation up front people walk in and they get what they expect and that's so cliche but so often we don't do a good job of that in the, in this world we sell something that's really not what we're selling so so i think that's very important for recruiting and then also for the retention side because if they can come in and say you told me this and you did this and i'm okay i'm happy and so i think that is uh, i think that's very very important so I think knowing who you are, and we know who we are in terms of we're a team model, run an OTR, that's what we do, and that helps us sell properly, and that is setting the right expectation.
0: And thank you, Rob Hatchett at Covenant. And again, a reminder that we welcome your questions and feedback. Uh, please email us at share at ttnews.com, or you can come in directly on this article page. Um, and before, I want to segue to um, Young drivers, but just we got a question from Michael Dorr. uh He's CFO at Diversified Transfer and Storage. And this is pretty much what we've been talking about. And his question, he wants to know, as a carrier, if we feel we are doing everything right for the driver, pay is great, home time is great, communication lines are open, that's what we talked about, then what are the main reasons uh, a driver leaves one company to go to another?
1: Dave. Oh, that, that sounds like a good Henry question. Oh, Henry, go, yeah. <laughs>
2: Wow. Um, I would think, and you say they have great pay and good, great that's, lines.
0: That's what Mike, that's his setup for his question. Pay is great, home time is great, communication lines are open. Uh, why would you think the driver will go to another company?
2: Maybe sometimes the communication is not as great as you think. Okay. You know, maybe it's not be as great. Maybe it's some of like what Dave talked about earlier, maybe it be some of the customers that you deliver into. Mm. Sometimes you can go to customers and you get there and all they see is you. And they're like, Why are you late? Uh, why is my product damaged? Uh, and you sit down and you gotta answer these questions. You gotta remember that the customer is always right. So even though they might be putting you down or not giving you respect that you needed, you have to remember that, hey, you yeah. representing a company. So the first thing I would do, I would get with the customer. I would get with my drivers and ask them, like, what's really going on. Another thing is, are you having any kind of like rewards programs? You know, are you allowing your um, are you allowing your drivers could um to become road team captains? Are you allowing them for to the, um, participate in your state um TDCS? You know, a different things. Do you have safety bonuses? Do you have reward programs? It's other things. It's more than just the communication. You know. People like small things. Do you have, like, parking, you know, like the yeah. driver of the month? This driver did this, so you get to park up front. Um, do you have, like, rewards, like safety rewards? You know, like, okay, look, today this driver, he had 50,000 miles without an accident, okay? and you know, all you have barbecues. Like, at UPS Freight, if we go 60 days without an accident, we can have a barbecue. Oh, nice. Or we have a cookout where this particular last week or last week, I did something different. I had a pancake breakfast.
0: There you go.
2: So I came in early. I cooked all the driver's breakfasts. We made pancakes, grits, eggs, um, sausage. My turn around. she wanted turkey bacon. I don't know why she wanted turkey bacon. <laughs> Some but, people are like that. Yeah, but she said, I want turkey bacon. Yeah. So I'm like, right, we'll do turkey bacon. But it went over good. The drivers, you know, you should have seen their face. They're like, breakfast what are you serious yeah you should have seen how they face lit up you know so they were so excited and how they was just talking they was you know they was just relating and we got to talking that gave me a chance to talk about hitting you know also in the wellness champion and i got to talk to some of them about their health you know i got to talk to them about okay are you going in walking or are you watching your calories off
3: yeah
2: or are you taking the extra time to do a pre-trip just small things and i asked them about like okay um what's your five seeing habits you know we pr- we push that what's your five seeing habits and again I, I know how many talking, about it. i know it. so like stuff like that you, you um, you'll be amazed just small things like that just give them back to your driver how much they appreciate that so maybe you need to look in that you know have a few banquets few picnics, barbecues but and get the and another thing get the family involved yeah I, I think bringing a spouse to work day I think that would be great. You know, you can bring the family and you can bring the kids in. You can bring the wife in and, you know, walk around the facilities and see exactly what, you know, what, you know, the wife, what do my wife, what do my husband do? He come here, I know you have to do a pre-trip, what's a pre-trip? You yeah. know, show your wife, like, this is a pre-trip, this is, um, this is a brake chamber. A brake chamber, okay, and this is a fifth wheel, and why is it a fifth wheel, it's not, it's not a wheel. It's <laughs> It's things like that. Exactly. You'd, you'd be amazed.
0: And then the family feels they have ownership and a stake in, <laughs> you know, what the spouse does. Um, anything you'd like to add? So I, I told you he'd give you a great yeah. answer. So <laughs> um, that, that was good. Not, the and, only turkey that, bacon. The, get, get the turkey bacon in there.
1: Well, and spontaneous, and I think some, some variety is what I hear from all, But I, And I think the other thing that can also be true is that they weren't a good fit for your segment of the industry.
0: Okay.
1: We're an intermodal carrier primarily, and there's a lot of times they've never pulled intermodal equipment before, and so even though we might think we're doing everything right, it's just not a good fit for them. Yeah. That's why I think we've got to be really clear on the front end. This is what you're going to be doing. Set the expectations really well, so that as much as you can, you eliminate any surprises once they actually go to work. But I think it's another reason that causes some of that churn is they're just not a good fit for the particular job Uh, that you have, whether it's the customer they're delivering to, or the equipment that they're pulling, or the route that they have, but it's just not a good fit.
0: Uh, Let's segue, um, and this is a very hot topic within this issue, and it's uh, the whole theme about young drivers. Um, And what I said in the intro, and everybody knows, many drivers are approaching retirement age, and we have a pool of these young drivers, the millennials, the young Generation X that are out there, Um, and studies have shown that they have different communication habits. Uh, They're more the Facebook generation. They're more online all the time. Some of them have never heard a dial tone when they, you know, use a telephone. Um, So, I want to turn to you, Dave, and they're out there. Some of them are, many of them are looking for employment. Um, How do you connect with them? How do you reach out to these younger drivers? Tell them uh, you know, educate them on the industry and get them to join the industry and perhaps they will realize that, hey, this is my calling, my vocation, and I'm in,
1: I I want to pursue this. So for old people like me, you have to find somebody that's much younger okay. that understands the, the social media. And, yeah. and it's a part of the recruiting that we do uh, is on social media uh, with Facebook and Twitter and those things that some of us don't understand completely about. Also, the whole internet, the uh, the, the web Advertising uh, that takes place. We have some companies that manage that, manage that for us. But I, I would take even a different twist on the whole younger driver thing, and saying that we need to be able to recruit drivers out of high school. Mm. You know, so this whole graduated CDL for 18 to 20 year olds is critically important. Uh, 18 to 20 year olds can already drive in tri-state within all 40 contiguous states in the US so it's not something that's new it's just they can't cross state lines but it's important for us to be able to use 18 to 20 year olds and not everyone but those that would be a good fit for our industry um, to cross interstate lines state lines for us and driving interstate commerce because today you have to depend on a second career you know they've already done if they don't go to college they've already done something else and you've got to catch them you know, on a rebound, I'd rather be able to be in high schools recruiting that as a as a career um, straight out of high school instead of trying to recruit them to trucking once they've already chosen another career opportunity. I mean, if we can send uh, people off in the military uh, to fight for us at 18 to 20-year-olds, yeah, we ought to be able to train them to be able to drive a tractor-trailer responsibly for us. So I I think that's a piece of it.
0: Is it, um, when they're at the, and, and when you go to the, if if we really go after the high schoolers uh what would be a challenge would it be an image thing uh, uh, just really educating them that perhaps they'll know more uh about certain other traits like plumbing you know carpentry and not really uh, well ver- versed on trucking well what what is the challenge well the communication yeah. once you connect with them how do you really uh she exposed them to the... Part, to part the of it's the image. Okay, you know, I
1: think what you said in the intro is true. If you get people in a room to raise their hand, not many of them are going to say that they want their children to, to wind up in transportation. So yeah. there's an image issue that we have to address. And I think it goes back to that essentiality, You know how essential trucking is to our economy and, and what the uh, earning opportunities are, and that it's a profession. There is There's school that has to be attended. But it's like a vocational type school, right? You, you, you do that vocational time, but then you've got skills that you can use for the rest of your life that are always going to be in demand. So I think it's really just making them see that as a tremendous career opportunity and, and convincing them to seek that career opportunity coming out of high school.
0: And returning to you, um, you're an ambassador of, you know, the, uh, of the trucking industry, America's uh, the, the campaign. Um, mm-hmm. When you um, talk to other drivers, and I'm sure you come across, you know, younger drivers, um, and when you see, you know, guys in their 20s, they ask you what you do, and you think they'll be a good fit, you know, how do those, uh, those conversations go?
2: Well, first of all, they want to know how much I get paid. Okay. <laughs> That's the first thing. All right. You should get paid. How often do you come home? What type of vehicle do you drive? um do you get to bring your family with you okay um can you bring an animal with you Mm. um can you take a vacation what's the stuff i believe it or not i have another a lot of questions about stock options can you buy stock options and is there different programs that i can go to for like for like my health reason or for just like if i get in trouble with the law anything like it'd be different uh like suppose Suppose if you they asked me like suppose if you was wasn't in the, you know like you wasn't college material. Yeah. You didn't make the best grades. Yeah, yeah. You didn't make the best grade when you were in school and you don't see yourself going to college. And now I'm um, nineteen and I have a family. I made a mistake, you know, a younger person or with a child. It happens, and, yeah. Yeah, and I wanna I want a job. And I see that I can drive trucks, but I gotta wait until I'm twenty one. Well, I can't wait until I'm 21. Yeah. I have to take care of my family now. And most people become creature of habits. Once they used to doing one thing, that's all they want to do. You know, you can look along the lines, you know, once people get hooked on sound, okay, on working as a security guard. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, if they lose their job, they go find another security job. This
0: Is what they learned? This is what they're comfortable doing now?
2: hmm Yeah. Compared if you was to go get an 18-year-old, and not like I say, not all 18-year-olds are the same. You know, have some responsible, and you have some that are not responsible. Yeah. So you have to know that person. You have to bring that person in and give them the training and give them the guidelines. I think if you bring an 18-year-old and you put them with a trainer, you know they can drive across state why they can't drive across on um, the state line put them with a trainer you let the trainer observe them you know observe them for a couple of months or you want to observe them for six months and do so and give them a shot you know because like i say tomorrow like we keep on saying that our kids are our future yeah but somehow somewhere down the line that we think like they pointed out earlier 18 years old i was in kuwait driving a truck i was in a different country driving the truck yeah Driving, ammo, troops, mail, water, yeah, no yeah. problem. Yeah, hey, yeah. go here, go there. Yeah. But, and I can't drive from Texas to Louisiana because yeah. I'm 18 years old. That's exactly. a problem. Yeah, that's a problem.
0: And I know that's something uh, ATA has been working with uh, lawmakers to address. And there's some reception. Uh, some lawmakers are receptive to that. Uh, but in the latest uh, highway bill. Um, Lawmakers missed that mark. They just do it. They it restricted is, it to, to
1: veterans only. And, yeah. And so um, we want to continue to work on uh, removing that restriction. One of the other things that um, I would add to what uh, Henry was saying also is that I think that the safety technology that is developed on trucks makes me more comfortable in putting a driver uh, behind the wheel. We always want, we're one of those companies that requires two years um, safe driving record before we'll hire somebody. Well, that's just to prove that they haven't had a number of accidents, you know, that they're able to handle a vehicle. With the technology that's on the truck today, you can tell minute by minute, hour by hour how safely somebody's operating a vehicle. You can use it for coaching, but you also can find that person that doesn't need to be in the truck and get them out before they have a wreck. Previously, you just knew whether they were having accidents or not
0: that's a good point and I just want to again remind everybody if you're interested in uh, sending us a question or feedback please do so at share at ttnews.com and we do have a question here from uh, Todd Hensley he's with Driver IQ and he's actually asking uh, still on these younger drivers and I'm just going to read it will less overnight travel make an impact to bring new young drivers into the industry and he goes on if so how could it be feasibly implemented for the larger carrier, uh, larger truckload carriers? So, the, the whole question about giving less overnight work. Oh, man, I
2: have a great answer for that. I, I, okay. gave, a lot of, I gave a lot of thought about this question. All righty. Um, like I said, I work for an LTL company. Yeah. And basically, you move from point A to point B. But, large truckload companies can basically do the same thing along the interstate system. You know, they have 10, 12, 65, 55. And you know they move from, you know, from city to city. So the truck the truck will coming out they have to get smart. If you know you have freight that have to move from let's say from Atlanta to Houston, you know you need to figure out what's the midway point. Okay, my driver can drive 500 miles, 600 miles a day and turn. So particularly take five hours. So okay, he can drive five hours that way, and five hours back. So you have a meet point. You get two drivers and you have a meet point. And that driver drive five hours, that driver drive five hours, and you go to a drop yard. You drive trailers. You might have trailer freight that they can bring to Atlanta uh, can continue going off. So you swap the trailers out. The truckload company, he bring that trailer back to Atlanta. That driver continue with that trailer going back towards Houston. Now, this way it gets interesting. we always talking about younger drivers. We I mean, talking about intrastate drivers. This way the 18-year-old and the 21-year-old, you want to follow that. All right, so most of those guys are in college, okay? And they're looking for a great part-time job. How about when you drop that into that particular city, it's a drop yard, yeah, a decal. Okay, at that point, those drivers that can't drive out of the state, they can deliver those in those smaller cities or around the city because they're not leaving the state and also it's like a part-time job for them. So, but then here go the thing about that. Here's the kicker. Suppose they finish school. Yeah. And their career don't worked out. So now they've been driving for like two or three years. And I say, you know what? I actually like what I do. I think I'm going to go ahead and become again, part-time, and become full-time. So that way you can get in touch with younger drivers. That's so, right. So now you got your problem. You know, you have your meeting turn, your drivers going back home. And you also, you, you also can use your younger drivers for the, the, the living around the city. Exactly. That's a great point.
1: That's a great point. I think it happened some today. I think that um, long-haul, over-the-road drivers are starting to regionalize their operations some um, within our company. Um, we do that. We, we move uh, freight from Savannah, Georgia to Nashville with a relay point, and we slip-seat our trucks. So we have two drivers assigned to the same truck. There's a there's a productivity, um, better use of the equipment with that instead of typically having one driver and one truck, and the truck's not moving when the driver's off, when you can use those short haul operations and get the truck back, you can put another driver in that truck and run the other 12 hours of the day um, and, and get a lot better utilization out of the equipment. So I, I think that um, that's becoming more, it doesn't, it's not 100%. I think that's also another misunderstanding about our industry is that every driving job is one that we're, where you have to lay out for weeks at a time. That, that's just not true today.
0: Uh, those are great points. And then you also build teamwork that way. Yes, yeah. correct. Um, uh, back to Facebook, I spoke with at the conference in Nashville with Leah Schultz, and she's a social media director at Papa John's International. And we talked about, you know, how social media, especially Facebook and Twitter, uh, really helps connect with the younger demographic. And I want to turn to my interview with Leah.
4: With um, a user base of over 1.5 billion users, it's really hard to argue with the depth they have and the penetration they have within the market, um, as well as the targeting capabilities they have. Um, As you know, uh, when you create your profile, you're uploading all sorts of personal information, everything from your name to where you work, your political affiliation, your religion, uh, your interests, movies you like, all of that. And uh, Facebook's done a really great job at creating these... um, um, social context around who the users are and developing different ways to target based on behavioral um, interests and activities and of course the uh, conversations that we're having on social. So, um, by the people that you connect with, uh, that creates kind of your social network within within the framework there and because of that you're able to target uh, ways that you never have on other types of media.
0: And. When drivers go on Facebook, um, what is a good way for the recruiters to attach and connect with them?
4: Yeah. Well, a lot of times they're um, identifying themselves as a truck driver or working at different carriers. They will often call out who their carrier is. They like the page, Uh, they're leaving comments there, they're asking questions as they're Um, You know looking around for different positions and I think it first starts with listening uh, from the carrier perspective So understanding where these drivers are on on Facebook and social media What they're talking about what their interests are and how to appeal to them uh, in ways And being able to do content marketing so developing blogs serving them up on Facebook developing videos uh, serving them up there and of course Um, sharing the different types of media in a way that uh, connect with drivers based on their interests. So maybe that's how-to videos um, and and all different things from driver recruiting to also retention because uh, Facebook has come a great place not only for carriers to connect with drivers but for drivers to connect with other drivers as well.
0: Thank you, Leah Schultz with Papa John. And again a reminder that we're uh, taking your questions and feedback during today's show. Uh, email us at share at ttnews.com also please comment directly on this article page Uh, guys let's uh shift over to what we talked about earlier wages money pay the paycheck (laughs) and henry you talked about it um obviously this doesn't really need a lot of intro you know Um, everybody redundant Uh, you know you pay people you pay people well they'll keep coming back you know, this is uh, and this is an argument that's been around. Some economists uh, deliberate on this, uh, the whole issue of compensation and rewards and bonus structures. Uh, Dave, I would like to turn to you on this uh, first. Um, how should the industry uh, handle and treat wages? Um, you know, is pay really the answer here?
1: It's a piece of it. Okay. I, and I think that what's happened, particularly with the Great Recession that we went through, is that driver's wages really haven't kept pace with inflation over a long time over the last 10 or 15 years if you look at it and so we've got to continue to get wages up uh, to to keep up with the cost of living increases that are taking place Um, obviously most of the time to get wages up you've got to also get customers to agree to pay the carrier more money to be able to do that and that comes and goes with um, how strong the economy is. Um, At TCW we did a 14% wage increase in 2014 uh, behind and needed to catch up some. Also, business was really strong during that stretch, and we were able to get rate increases to help us uh, be able to afford that increase. Uh, We did 4% again last year on top of that. And so I do believe that as long as the economy continues to grow, wages will continue to go up on drivers. You see carriers announcing wage increases all the time. Uh, But I also think that incentive pay is an important piece of that, and we added an incentive component to our compensation uh, to tie uh, pay to... Um, productivity, you know, if a driver works 50 hours a week for every week of the quarter. They're eligible for 1% of their wage for that quarter. And also to safety, if they don't have any accidents or injuries and no hours of service violations or moving violations. And we use speed gauge. They have less than 1% speed gauge violations in that quarter. They're eligible for another 1% you have a of reward their structure quarterly wage. Yeah. So tying it to performance, yeah. but also giving them an opportunity to earn additional uh, income as a, as a piece of that.
0: Henry, you t- you you talked about respect and you know collegiality uh, uh, in the workforce, but you know tell us about you know wages. Is that you know what do you think?
2: Yeah, slight. Like they say wages is important, but that's only one part. You know, it's wages and it also benefits. Um, you can be paying your employee high wages, but what does the benefit cost? You know, I done heard companies that the benefits are outrageous. You know, be paying two, $300 every two weeks. I'm happy to say at my job that the wages where the benefits are low. You know, thank God for the union job. But with that being said, wages is one thing, but it's benefits also. And you also have to look at going back to respect. So all of them tie in, like all of them go hand in hand. And I'm just thinking about Dave, some of the incentive program they have, I wish we had that.
0: Uh, we got a question from Ricardo Rees, and he's with Western Merchandise Express. Uh, he asks, how important is pay versus all other aspects of retention? This is what we talked about, retention, like respect, home time, lanes, equipment, anything we like to add. Just wanted to get to his question.
1: Well, what I would say is we wrestle with that a lot of times as a management team. Uh, when we know we want to spend additional money, what, what do you want to spend it on? Do, do we want to spend it on benefits? You know, do we want to spend it on additional vacation time? Um, and a lot of times, if you, if you ask drivers, it, it comes back to what that weekly check yes. is going to be. Let them have the money and decide how they mm-hmm. want to spend that money instead of us, in our infinite wisdom, trying to figure out how they would like for us to spend it on their uh, behalf. And the only other thing I want to say about wages is that it's not just what you pay per mile. Um, there's a lot of unproductive time. Uh, the drivers wind up spending and, and I think that causes some of the churn sometimes is what they actually uh, get on a paycheck doesn't match what they thought it was going to be because they can't work enough miles or enough hours during the day or during the week. It, it, it's about the compensation, the, what, what's on their check that matters and you've got to be productive in how you use the drivers and make full days for them to be able to maximize their earning ability.
0: We have another question, and we touched on this. I want to just acknowledge that it. it's from Allison Kempa. She's with ASL Transportation Group, and she's asking, "This is what we've been talking about. Besides money and local schedules, what would make a company stand out more than the others to get the right people in the door? Is, is, this, is this going back to the, you know, having those pancake breakfasts and having, you know, family engagement? Is this uh, anything we can build on this?"
1: I would say that for us, it has to do with our image okay. you know, and with our brand. And, and um, when I mean we you're look, you're a good company to work for. And, when yeah. we look at what brings us the most applicants, most of them have seen our truck, or they've seen our facilities, mm-hmm. or they know one of our drivers, uh, or have met, they know something about our company that there makes them things. yes, that makes them want to come. Uh, apply there. And and so we think image and brand, you know, running late model equipment, having nice facilities, having drivers that are in uniforms, being professional about what we do and how we do it is really important in recruiting the right drivers to come to work for us.
0: Henry, and I know you did talk at length about this. Anything you would like to add? What makes, you know, what makes the company stand out?
2: Uh, great, Dave gave a great answer. That was great because I was thinking that also about the uniform. Just knowing that who you work for and the company brand, believe it or not, that people identify who you work for when I get off work. And like Henry you work for UPS, you know, so they say, "Oh, that's great," but other, but they have other great companies. A company like Dave's company, they have FedEx, they have say, they have a whole lot of different. They have a lot of members on the America's Road team work for different companies and those are some great guys and I'm always bouncing ideas like what are some of the things that they're doing. I'm like, man, that's amazing. And they ask me the same thing. So like I say, it's just the trucking image themselves. It's about coming to work and knowing that you're going to get paid and you're going to get the respect and like you said, the late model's equipment. Like, recently, I just received one of our sponsors for American Road Team is yeah. Volvo. Yeah. And I received a new Volvo last week. It's the iShift Matic and this truck.
0: Very nice.
2: Very nice. And it has all the bells and whistles on it. It has the uh, anti-collision litigation system. Yeah. It has the lane departure system. Um, it has, like I say, you don't, you, it's one button. You press drive. You have to change any gears, and you go. And it takes, you're driving down the highway, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, like, well, I need to change gear. But the truck is doing itself. There you go. The yeah. truck is so smart. It knows when you're going up in here. It knows when you're going down here. It knows if it's wrecked, you know, like if it's need traction control the truck. And so you're just riding in this modern piece of equipment, like, man, this is amazing. So it's just stuff like that, knowing that you can work for these companies that actually care about their drivers, that, you know, take, you know, spend extra money and say, you know what, I'm about the best for my drivers. I'm going to get this piece of equipment because not only I care about my drivers, but I care about their safety second. and I care about the motor and safety.
1: Yep. We're motor. all still intrigued with modern technology, right? Yes.
0: You know and we'll now. get to um, technology, especially big data in a second, uh, but... Uh, I spoke with Tim Norland, he's the Director of Recruiting at Martin Transport in Nashville, uh, when I was at the conference in Nashville, uh, and he had an interesting take on how the, his firm you know, handles uh, compensation packages and uh, how he treats wages. And I believe we have a video, uh, my conversation with Tim Norland.
5: We tried to turn the tables a little bit and, and focus on consistent earnings for our drivers, and in doing so we focused on that unproductive time that a driver has dwell time at customer locations waiting to load and unload martin transport was the first carrier to implement automatic detention pay driver doesn't have to do anything to get the pay other than show up on time for their deliveries or pickups um, the other thing that we focused on is uh, shutdown pay inclement weather we're in the middle of winter how many drivers continue to drive in bad weather because they need to pay their car payment or pay their house payment and the only way they do that is by earning a cent per mile we incentivize the drivers to do the right thing be safe pull over wait for road conditions to improve but to make sure their earnings don't suffer we pay them twenty dollars per hour while they're doing that so that there's peace of mind it helps them make the right decision and uh, we found that by doing those things with the automatic detention pay and with the the downtime pay Yes, it costs us money, but in the end, our drivers are safer. They make better decisions. We're more more efficient at customer locations, and bottom line, our drivers have consistent earnings week after week after week, regardless of how many miles they drive.
0: And again, a reminder that we welcome your questions and feedback. Send us your questions at share at ttnews.com. Guys, we just we're getting tons of questions. Thank you, and one of them is from. Craig Sporer and he he asks, what is the perception from a driver's standpoint of companies that pay per mile versus by the hour? Well,
2: so I that guess that whole
0: argument there.
2: Well, I guess it depends on what type of work you're doing. Okay. Um, and UPS Freight, if you're running line haul, you particularly get paid by the miles. If you're doing city work, you're getting paid by the hour. But on the same level. If you're getting delayed, they have what you have retention pay. After the 30 minutes, you have to give them 30 minutes because they have a certain meet point. After you get 30 minutes, you start getting paid. Um, if you break down, you get break. If you break down, you get paid. Um, the other thing is if, if you go, if you um, if the the only thing about that, like if you get paid by the hour, if the hour. Most of the time, you're just doing city work. That's that's pretty much. Okay. But the main thing is this: every job is different. Yeah. You know, I can't. If I'm, if um, we have a driver We have drivers that complain about, well, I don't get paid to do a pre-trip inspection. And UPA's argument is that when you get paid and your the amount of pay per hour, that's all that's included. So you don't get paid for that. But I think it's real important that people just need to realize that it depends. You know, you can't pay you for hour of paying you doing line hour because sometimes things may arise that they have no control of it.
1: Anything on the whole mile? Well I would say that you know piece rate pay is, is a good way of paying um, mm-hmm. if the opportunity exists for the person to produce yeah. and I think the challenge in, in trucking is um, just, just what Henry was saying is all operations are very different. And there can be instances where the driver is delayed or experiences a breakdown or experiences a customer problem delay that's beyond their control. Um, and, and there has to be some sort of reasonableness in compensating them for that time. So, you know, I'm all for piece rate pay when it's fair for both parties. It's just hard for it to be fair in all instances in trucking. It. We pay miles and hours both because it's so variable. Um, one of our drivers is going to have to go into the port or the rail yeah. it 's going to take them a lot longer to get that piece of equipment to hit exactly. the road yep. than it would if they hooked up on our yard and yeah. left so it 's so variable that we pay hourly pay for that type of work and then mileage pay for the miles that they 're actually traveling down the highway
0: thank you for that question Craig and um, I briefly want to touch on well, I want to touch on big data and this uh, you know links to wages uh, how firms out there are relying on databases, and just uh, (coughs) big packages of information to measure driver performance, fuel economy, determining salaries, and bonus structures. Uh, I'll get to my conversation with Mark Shaver, vice president of National Transportation Institute, in a second. But the panel, Dave, how do you view
1: big data? What are its benefits? Yeah, there's a lot of information that comes out of trucks today, and being able to manage that data is the challenge. But to the extent that you can manage it. It does allow us to um, measure an individual driver's performance where previously it was tied more to a truck and because we put two drivers in the same truck or our trucks move between terminals over a period of time it was very difficult to get it to the driver level so the fact that we're able to to manage data much more specifically to driver time uh, specifics enables us to be able to use it for incentive uh, Type pay. I think also that that there's a lot more effort on the OEM's part to make that data available to the driver in the truck, real time, which is a lot more efficient way of educating the driver. Uh, I think all that data has to be used to coach with, though, not to be a cop and say I've got you, but to to coach on improving behavior, and the more immediate that feedback uh, is to the driver. Most people take pride in what they do and they want to hit the target, they want to hit the goal, and so if the driver can see where they are relative to where they need to be, real time, I think you get a lot better performance out of it.
0: Henry, anything from the di- driver's perspective? Uh, do drivers, uh, you know, uh, do they talk a lot about this whole big data?
2: Well. Anything that promote efficiency, okay, that that's great, because we know that when a company opens its doors, they open the doors to make money. And I figure yeah. they're making money, and we're talking about pay, we're talking about salaries. The more money that they make, the more pay they can pay to the drivers, the more benefits that they can offer to the drivers. Another thing about data is that it's just another way for to ensure that the driver's being safe. I don't have a problem with the data. I have A lot of drivers that actually have... Reinsurance, knowing that that data is on that vehicle, like camera, onboard cameras, and God forbid, God forbid, if an accident arises, you have someone else there, you have view, you can look. Okay, this is what happened. This driver had his hand nine to twelve. He was maintain the proper um firings. Exactly. He was looking five to eight, checking his mirrors, and it just sometimes things happen. Maybe that driver cut him off. If that data wasn't there. Yep. now it's the problem it's the driver's word and that person's word and like you always have to remember like the man the customer's always right and a lot of times what happened the, co- the company end up siding with the driver you know they ready for the pay them off and the driver you know they can lose their job and now that driver he had to find another job he had to think about his family but meanwhile the public sometimes get encouraged by this they say you know what I'm a driver, you know, and I'm saying they try to get an accident, but stuff like that happens. It yeah. happens, yep. and they put the driver, so anything that can bag my story up and ensure that, okay, I was doing the right thing at the right time, I didn't cause accident, that make a driver happy.
0: That's a good point, point. and I want to segue now to my conversation with Mark Shaver. He's the vice president of the National Transportation Institute based in Wisconsin.
6: Well, you know, I came away with a, a, a lot, and, and I guess one of the things that, that I'm seeing the, you know, a lot of are the, the inconsistencies with the schools, the, whether it's a carrier school or a, or, a, or, or a school for truck drivers, or we call it a CDL mill, where they're just inconsistent with uh, running the drivers in and, and not really preparing them for what the, what the situation is. You know, there was a lot of conversation on, on for-hire fleets and their, their aging workforce and, and how some of the for-hire fleets may have to be nervous about that. And I'm not sure if that's really the, the proper take on that, only because uh, with a for-hire driver, um, there's, they don't necessarily like to do a lot of labor. Private fleets, there is a lot of labor with a private fleet and that's really the the, the the take that I have is the schools and the private fleets are probably going to become more and more uh, of partners and, and with the millennials um, we have to find a way to adapt better and private fleets have adapted very very well to a situation that uh, merits a new millennial type driver uh, to come into the system because they're home daily. They have, uh, you know, shorter haul, shorter length of haul, and it's a little more physical. You know, they they have more physical labor. Now, the the drivers that are aging on the private side, will they go to the four higher fleets? Maybe. You know, there certainly is a a, a good notion that that could happen. So that is a uh, uh, my take on that. And then. Um, and, and I think that along with that, the, the, the people that I've, that I've spoken to aren't necessarily talking about raising their driver wages. What they are looking at, though, is how do they manage it better? How do they compare themselves to the competition and just benchmark it better?
0: Thank you, Mark Shaver, Um, and also again a reminder, please send us your questions and feedback uh, at share at ttnews.com and uh, we appreciate uh, the questions that we have received. Um, And the last point I want to get to, and this is something Dave that you really touched on early in the show, is uh, regulations. Um, Obviously, there's a myriad uh, number of regulations at not only the federal level but also the state level that affect how we transport goods in this country. Um, speaking to industry executives, uh, people at trade groups and trade associations, uh, not everybody's too fond of these government regulations. It's not only in transportation, but you, know, you see the financial services industry and pharmaceutical industries uh, okay. writ large. Uh, and we're talking about electronic logging devices, the CSA scores, hours of service, the list goes on. Dave uh, and Henry, uh, what is the impact that regulations is having on the industry, especially from a
1: recruitment and retention perspective? Well, the positive thing about regulations are that that they're geared towards safety and and we're all focused on improving safety. It just so happens that while they improve safety, they also impact um, driver uh, recruitment and retention. Uh, And and some of the comments I made earlier, I I think that the uh, personal score that drivers have now uh, weeds some drivers out of our industry. Uh, I think that electronic logs um, could cause some drivers to leave our industry as opposed to adapt to the new technology.
0: And and then also we have the hair testing that will be coming in play, I believe, in a year. Um, Henry, again, you know, regulations, um, Mm -hmm. you know, all these mandates and uh, things that you have to always keep in mind where you're out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you uh, t- touch a little bit on that again?
2: Well, being that I am the wellness champion at my terminal, first thing I think about CSA, I okay. think about the medical review boards. Yeah. And I think about there's drivers who've been driving for years, but all of a sudden now they can't drive. I think Dave hit on it earlier about sleep apnea. Yeah. So, if I'm a driver, and I know my body, and I snore a lot. Now you telling me I'm not a safe driver because I snore because I'm overweight and I snore. But I know my body. But they seem to think that because you snore and you're not getting the proper amount of rest that you can't drive trucks. So they have a lot of drivers that who are overweight they are you know they're not allowed to drive anymore. And they also have like at first when I first started driving when this medical review board first started out, I was like I said I was a city driver. And then I became a line haul driver in 2005. Well, when they passed this law, I want to say in 2009, I was taking a sleep sleep medicine and go to sleep during the day. Never had a problem. Never had acid or anything. But my doctor told me, he said, Henry, you want to continue driving trucks? You can't take your sleep medicine anymore. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, like, I never had a problem. But you know what? I love what I do. I had to stop taking the medicine you exactly. know, for the start, for the continuing drive. drive. Yeah. But they have some medication that some drivers had to take, so guess what? They had to leave our business.
0: Um, and I think for a last point, and this is a, a combination. I'm just combining several questions because we got several questions on the e-logs. And Dave, maybe you can um, you know, bring us home with uh, an e-log perspective. Mm-hmm. And from the ATA uh, point of view um, what is or which you know if you well, how are the e-logs affecting retention
1: well I mean i think the e-logs are all about safety okay. and, and that's why ATA supports that at our company we've run it for probably 6 years now and we did it for that very reason as we wanted to ensure that we knew the hours that our drivers were working that we didn't have to worry about a driver that was exceeding the, the legal limits. We had auditors that would spend all their time trying to check behind logs to be sure that we caught anybody that was falsifying their log or, or not logging legally. This takes care of all that. It's real time. Uh, it's, it's, it's sort of uh, falsification proof. And so we have a great deal of confidence the hours that our drivers are working on any given day. It's also given our operations people a view into the hours that a driver has available for the next day. So when they're putting the dispatch schedule together, they now know exactly what hours that driver has available to perform that work, and, and that's been very beneficial to our operation. So, I, you know, I think that the benefits certainly outweigh the, uh, the risks. Um, we did have a driver or two that uh, decided to retire as opposed to really? fill with the new technology. Okay. But I'll tell you that today, the drivers that are on it love it. And the worst thing that happens to us is when our system goes down <laughs> and they have to revert back to a paper log. Okay.
0: Um,
1: they, you know, they pick up about two, two-and-a-half hours a week because of rounding. So um, paper logs are to the 15-minute mark. Uh, E-log is to the one-minute mark. Mm. And so they must have been rounding up all the time because <laughs> they've, they've actually picked up some available yeah. hours in the week uh, just due to the rounding. So our drivers really like it. Uh, as a management, uh, we like it because we feel comfortable that we're compliant uh, with the hours of service. And the hours of service are an adequate amount of time for a driver to work in a day or in a week, and we're comfortable with that.
0: Let's leave it there. We um, we about oh, you know, uh, cover a lot of ground, and I really think uh, I want to thank everybody for their questions. And you know, this is a to be continued issue, especially on the <laughs> regulatory side. I know. Uh, ATA and other stakeholders are working on Capitol Hill uh, you know, to, and deliberating with uh, the key lawmakers to address you know, the concerns that the industry has out there. Um, I, again, I want to thank you for your insight and perspective. I'd like to also thank our guests, um, Dave Manning and Henry Brewster, and our sponsors, EBE Technologies and Conversion Interactive Agency for making today's program possible. If you missed part of the show or just would like to watch it again, a replay will be posted shortly on our website, ttnews.com, and on liveonweb.ttnews.com. There you also will find links to our complete interviews with Rob Hatchett, Tim Norlin, Leah Schultz, and Mark Shaver. Thank you also to our top-notch production team here at Live on Web, Joe Terry, Kevin Eaton, Shehab Mustafa, Darren McClellan, and Gary Kaczynski. We'd like to hear your reaction uh, to today's broadcast. Head over to our LinkedIn page and comment on this episode at ttn.ws l-o-w is linked. And don't forget, Live on Web also is available via podcast. Go to iTunes, search Live on Web, and subscribe. Our next Live on Web is on March 16th. Uh, please tune in to catch my colleague Seth Clevenger, who will be hosting a panel that will offer insight and perspective and take your questions regarding the whole e-log mandate that, take, mandate that takes effect uh, December of next year. Until next time, I'm Eugene Mulero, congressional reporter at Transport Topics. Thank you for watching.